Welcome to the Silver Caduceus Association podcast, where we take a break to explore how medical service corps officers shape the story of the Army. This is our story, and I'm your host, Dave Paramore. Let's get started. Well, hello, everyone. Again, Dave Paramore here. I'm uh, with some superstars today. Um, I've got uh, Claude Hines and Frank Tucker on the call, um, both AMED alumni um, and uh, superstars in industry now um, with MicroHealth is the, the company that, uh, that, they, that they own and run. And uh, they'll tell you all about that in a second, but I just want to welcome them, Frank and Claude, welcome. Thank you. Thank you. Appreciate to be here. Yeah, it's great. Great to have you guys. Um, you know, we kind of love to give folks a little bit of background on kind of how you're how, how you got here, but a little bit about your background in the AMED. Claude, why, why don't we start with you? You you had a you and I served together, but uh, just kind of some cliff notes about your past and um, you know, on active duty. Yes. Good afternoon. Well, I got started uh, as a medical service officer back in 1985. I started out as a, at that time as a basically a basic medical service officer, and I went into the uh, the 56th Field Artillery Command as the first uh, medical platoon leader. Uh, they were basically Persian missiles, and they didn't know what to do with. So I learned how to do a lot of stuff in the army. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> That's cool. If it was an extra duty, I, I did it. it to include going up to the remote sites and helping guard the missiles. But from there, I went on to uh, become a, a medical logistician. Oh. And, and, and a lot of folks don't know that about me, but I was at the, uh, as a Lieutenant Colonel, I ended up being at the Wurzburg Maddox and the 67 Combat Support Hospital, basically where I was the S4 of the 67 Combat Support Hospital and the medical logistics officer for the hospital. And then I got a call and said, hey, you've been selected to be a, a product manager of something called Medical Communications for Combat Casualty Care. And I was like, what is that? <laughs> what is that? What is that? You got selected, and that's uh, so. What is uh, so? Tell us about that, because that, that's how you and I met. But uh, you know that wh- what is uh, what is that selection process like, or what was it like then? Uh, it was it was a board select uh, process. You know, at the time, product managers were basically board selected. You know, for like lieutenant colonel, like it, you know, same as the battalion commanders. And I had the pleasure of being one of the first medical service officers to be a participant in the acquisition corps. Although I didn't physically go into the acquisition corps, the AMED allowed me to be there and participate by letter. And I ended up going to the the Signal Corps pre-command course, and they made me an honorary member of the Signal Corps. So it was pretty interesting. And then I had the distinct pleasure of working with you and General Granger, General Peake, General uh, Ursone, Colonel, Colonel Barkley Butler at the time and, and, and Colonel D. Barrow. And we had the pleasure of putting the MC4 system into the theater of operations in the OIF-1. 
Yeah, that, those those were some great times. I mean, you know, I think back to that. I mean, we could we could tell whole, all kinds of war stories here about that that whole process and the great work that you all did there. Um, I, I like to think you taught me the the phrase of the business side of the military of the acquisition corps. I like that was something that you introduced me to early on. Like, what do you do, Claude? Well, I, I work the business side of the military, <laughs> the acquisition side. So, uh, so yeah. So uh, that deployment, and then uh, then you went on uh, uh, from there. You went up to uh, uh, Tricare management activity then, or no? What when? What was the next step for you? Yeah, it was the Tricare management activity because I was always complaining about the the, the system itself because the, used to get it from the Tricare uh, management activity team up, and which included Alter T and CHEST and things of that nature, mm-hmm. and so I used to be complaining based upon our Army customers, and one day they was like, since you always complaining, you get to go to TMA and help fix it. <laughs> help fix it, right? Be, be careful what you ask for. Be careful so what you ask for. And then, and then you went up to be the program manager for Alta, right? Is that was that the next step? That's that's correct. What what had happened when I got to TMIP, I realized that TMIP got their software from the PM of uh, of Alta, and so basically TMIP was a subset of Alta, and it had the operational medicine software to support you know the, the battlefield. Well, Alta was a major movement of that, and I was always trying to get it fixed. And then one day they just said, well, you know what? This is the only way we can fix it because, you know, the theater community has their priorities, and then basically the fixed facility hospital have their priorities. The only way you can get get it to where all the priorities are being served is to have one PM. And then they combine TMIP and uh, SIPO, who, who was the the deliverer of, of Alta into one program office. And that program office became the Defense Health Information Management System, where we daily called it DHIMS, where we had the responsibility of both Alta and uh, TMIP that had Alta T in it. And that was a pretty big job. And, and then along the way, while I was in that job, we got to put the uh, electronic health record into the White House. Oh wow! Yeah, Frank and I. A lot of people I, don't know that. That's a that's a pretty big deal. Yeah, that's pretty good. A pretty big deal. And Frank and uh, Captain Weena and I, we were in, I think, Doctor Coleman's office, and yeah. and uh, Michelle Obama walks into the to the room. Frank said he spoke. I was like in starstruck, and my mouth was. <laughs> I didn't hear nobody speak. But Frank claimed he spoke. <laughs> That's one of those I would like to have a do-over and say, hey, so I could have said I actually spoke to him, but my mouth was just open the whole time. <laughs> those are some of the cool things, you know, like people, some people love or hate going to D.C., but like you look back at it, it was like some of the most rewarding time for me is just, you know, opportunities to meet people and meet folks in government. And uh, yeah, it's that's great. Um, anything else you want to add about your career? And then we'll flip it to Frank. Yeah, I think one of the other things that uh, I don't want to uh, that I like to, to highlight is basically uh, the Federal Health Care Center, North Chicago, mm-hmm. where uh, the James A. Lovell Federal Health Care, North Chicago, where I had the responsibility for DOD, along with Keith Tietmeyer for the VA, of putting the systems in to that first 
to that first shared uh, hospital, which was in North Chicago, but it was physically on the VA campus. And so I learned a lot there about the VA and how the VA operates and things of that nature. And so it was a lot of fun along the way. Not to mention the times that, you know, me and you and General Granger, and then we was briefing the vice chairman and everybody <laughs> up, up the chain to include the deputy surgeon general. I mean, the deputy, uh, the deputy, uh, the deputy. Uh, <laughs> Secretary of Defense, Health Affairs and all that. Yeah, but then also the deputy secretary of defense to get the money. Oh, that's for, right. Yeah. For the new EHR that we now call and know within the Army, Genesis. That's right. That's right. It's been a lot of fun along the way. Well, well, for the listeners, so what you've just heard is this is, uh, you know, Claude is is uh, among the, the pioneers and the founders of this uh, this whole electronic health record transformation in DOD. And uh, so delighted to have him today. A lot of people think of Claude as what we'd say a 70 Delta, you know, because he did a lot, perceived to do a lot of IT, but as he mentioned, it was the acquisition positions that he was in. And uh, he understands the whole contracting side of it and uh, taught me a lot. And uh, for that, I thank you, Claude, for that. Um, you taught me what I know today. So I appreciate it. Um, I can't say that, but I appreciate <laughs> being a friend and working along beside. <laughs> so Frank, we're going to flip it to you. You're, uh, we'll, we'll call you an honorary member of the uh, Medical Service Corps, but really you're a specialist corps officer, uh, physician's assistant uh, by trade. And uh, love to hear about your story and how you linked up uh, with Claude. And in, in, uh, we'll talk about the business side later, but just, you know, on, you guys partner together on the active duty side quite a bit and how you got brought into this IT transformation as well. I'd love to hear that story. Yeah, that's an interesting story and in how Claude and I met. I'll let him tell that story because I think he tells it much better than I do. <laughs> But uh, yeah, I started the military enlisted. Um, so I was a pharmacy technician. And, uh, you know, after about a year of doing it, I just sort of realized that that wasn't the job for me. And the, the wonderful thing about the military is they'll retrain you. So uh, as long as you apply and get accepted. So I sort of just applied to a number of programs that were out there to, to get me commissioned. And the first one that I got accepted to was the PA program. Uh, interesting enough, I really didn't even know what a physician assistant was, but I got accepted. So I went to the school. Um, it was one of the youngest ones that went to the course. Um, and um, about a year into that, kind of learned what a PA was. And that really wasn't necessarily a profession for me either. Now, the difference is the Army has retrained me twice. <laughs> it wasn't going to be that easy to say, hey, send me to another school, because um, now I have an obligation. Um, but what I found was um, in command and staff, do you remember the green logbook that you had to do? Yes, yes, yeah. the green logbook, yeah. I would spend hours and hours compiling the data from the green logbook for like five, 10 minutes of a briefing in command and staff every week. And it was just horrible because I didn't have time to see patients. So I picked up Visual Basic for Dummies and I learned how to, to write some software. And that software was named MedBase and it was deployed um, you know, at that installation, Fort Lewis. And then it went on to 14 hospitals, including three medical centers. Um, and then part of that software is inside of Alta today. And I'm not going to tell you which part because it's the part with the most bugs because no PA should ever be coding. And it showed. <laughs> it 
shows by the number of defects that Alta has for it. <laughs> That's great. But, uh, yeah. So then um, that is my sort of four way in acquisitions. You know, I, you know, learning how to sort of manage this for um, the army uh, sort of repurposed me less as a PA, except for in deployments. I still deployed as a PA and I still had to practice, you know, once a week to keep up my, my skills to be able to deploy. But I spent most of the time managing this program until um, they picked me up in TMA. And so this is sort of the story on how Claude and I met. Claude, you want to share that one? I think you say it better than I do. Let's do it. Let's do it, Claude. Yeah. So Frank had MedBase going. And so the Army wanted to add MedBase to the team of product, right? So at the time, Colonel Eileen Malone, who was the CIO, but she was a nurse, an army nurse, she said, uh, uh, they would like to get this product in. And it's this young captain that is the keeper of the gate for this product. So she flew me and the barrel down to San Antonio to go talk to then Captain Frank Tucker. And so we get down there and we get in the room and there's a few people uh, sitting around. And I said, hey, uh, uh, Captain Tucker, we, we hear from uh, uh, representing uh, the Army, OTSG, and we would like to uh, talk to you about how we can figure out how to get the MedBase product into the into the TMIP system, which was really MC4, right? The Army system was MC4, but TMIP was the platform for a lot of the, uh, the healthcare-related systems. And I'll never forget... Then Captain Tucker looked me dead in the eye and said, sir, do you have any money that you can help me? And I said, I don't have any money. I'm just here to talk to you. And then he says, I, I, I'm sorry, but I, I got to run to another meeting. <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> he left. Dee and I were looking at each other like, what happened? <laughs> fast, forward, I, fast forward, I leave MC4. Now I'm at TMIP. It's been about two three years later. And then uh, Colonel Ann wolf Commons came down to see me and she said, we have this very smart PA that's very good in, in, in IT and we don't want to lose them. We want to keep them around. And she said, we was wondering, uh, would you be interested in taking them? At the time, TMIP was in, you know, dire shape. And so we was trying to get things straight. So I was going to take anybody. Free help is, is free help. But I just asked, I said, what's his name? And she said, Captain Frank Tucker. And I said, oh, yeah, send him to me. <laughs> <laughs> and we've been, we've been together basically ever since. <laughs> oh, that's great. Yeah. That's well, that great takes story. me to my, to my uh, you know, time at TMA. You know, I started out as, a, you know, one of the PMs at uh, TMIP. And then um, when they formed DHIMS and sort of put those two together, I was a PM for uh, – you know, a product line, and then the CTO for DMs. Uh, then I got to round out my career as uh, one of the three deputy CIOs for the Army Medical Department, and that's probably um, the best thing, right? I I've spent a career trying to be an MSC officer, <laughs> and uh, there have been a number of MSC officers. Army and Air Force has been trying to get me to branch transfer, and it actually went to the Army G1. Wow. And uh, they said it would be a two for one loss. And so it wasn't going to be, it wasn't going to happen. Um, 
but they had actually lined up commands for me. They sent me to training. So I went to the school that the CIOs go to at uh, Army AMED Center School. And so they sent me to all these trainings to become assuming that I would get approved. Um, and even when I wasn't approved, they still allowed me into the community. So I think there are probably more 70 deltas that know me than you know, 65 deltas and PAs. The, the PAs, yeah, that's true. Yeah, that's crazy. true. Everybody knows Frank Tucker in this industry. <laughs> and it, and it, it's amazing because you would have to welcome me in, right? I'm not in your slot, but I would fill your slot as a 65X, which would normally be a delta position. Right. And uh, the delta community allowed me to have those positions because they just looked at me as sort of one of their own. And I, I got to tell you, I'm absolutely grateful for that, right? So I appreciate being an honorary, you know, MSC. <laughs> That's great. Well, we're we're delighted to have you. I love this uh, this story. It brings back lots of great memories. I'm sure we could tell war stories all day long. Oh, um, how about I, the one I got kicked out of launch stool? You were there. What, 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 <laughs> tell me about that one. <laughs> <laughs> so if you remember that, you know, we deployed, um, you know, we transformed JMUs to TMDS and TMDS yeah. got deployed and it just broke the theater, right? What a disaster. Um, so just to let you know, you know, not to make any excuses, but I was banned from doing anything on TMDS until one week before it was deployed. <laughs> and then, you know, then Commander Brown, now Captain Brown, he left. Right. And so they had nobody else to give it to but me. And at that point, it was going to roll out no matter what. Right. So it rolls out at two o'clock in the morning. The email just blows up that it broke the theater. I'm calling Colonel Hines and telling him, hey, like, you need to read the emails. He's like, it's not what, what's going on. It's not that bad. I'm like, no, you need to read the emails. We broke the theater. And then, boom, we broke the theater. And if you remember, uh, then Colonel Hines, now General Hines, called us out. <laughs> It was me, you, I think Colonel Marinkovich, maybe uh, yeah. Colonel, Colonel Barrow is there, um, a couple of others. You know, my job is to defend the program office and defend TMA, and I, I stood my ground. Apparently, General Line didn't care for that. He kicked <laughs> me out of launch school. I was on that next flight with my tail between my legs. Oh, man. <laughs> <laughs> I tell you, those were some those some rough times. We I, I've been through some rough times there too. I remember Claude and I were in, in the briefing briefing the uh, the JSIDS process. I mean, it just it, there's a lot of bumpy roads. But I can tell you that the, the gentleman on the call today, Frank and Claude, and yeah, you know, I'm just I was a kind of a a part of it, you know, alongside them, but uh, laying the groundwork for what what's happening now and the transformation and electronic health records is more part of our more a part of our world than it's not. And um, so I think that's a good way to pivot now to kind of the-, the Dave, I, I, don't wanna, I don't want you to get past that because you were really at the f forefront with us. And with, now when you talk about the Jasons, we were down there in the tank at the Pentagon and <laughs> we, was to try, we was trying to defend team it, and it blew up on us. I remember you being on the front stage and. It, all the, the two stars that was responsible for each service, they just lit into us. And I I we getting back, and it was the one of the things that was we had to defend was damage control to try to make sure that the that the department didn't look bad, meaning the ASD Health Affairs, right? Because of the things we had done, and that was that was very eye opening too. 
It was, it was. And, and, uh, but fast forward, put it back together and, um, you know, kind of, there's just, there's just a rewarding aspect of you got, you go through those rough times, but it's, uh, you know, look where we are now. And, uh, so it's, it's again, great, great, uh, great stories to look back on. I, um, I hope I didn't miss general Granger. Cause you know, basically he was at the forefront with us, right? Oh no, we, we, we don't miss him. We talk to him all the time. He's, yeah. he's a matter of fact, I'm, I'm, he, he's agreed to it. I just haven't haven't uh, scheduled time with him yet, but he's going to be on this podcast too because he's actually a lot of people don't know this, but uh, physicians and he's he's joined as a lifetime member of the Silver Caduceus Association. But uh, physicians, when they start medical school, they're assigned as a medical service corps officer. Huh, so they, I didn't know that they are actually medical service corps officers mm-hmm. out of the gate until they get uh, their their MD and then get commissioned into well actually get uh, branched into medical corps at that point huh so well let's pivot to uh to the exciting times that you all are doing now uh, uh partnering on this uh, venture of uh, micro health uh won't steal any thunder i we, i know our, our our listeners would love to hear the story and i'm curious too i don't know if i've ever heard this story how you started micro health and uh what some of the things that uh, you're, you're doing now uh in support of our our soldiers and uh, deployed warriors and, and also other agencies as well. You guys are, are doing work across the federal health landscape. So I'd love to hear, hear the story. Yeah, so absolutely. So, you know, it's funny, you know, somebody, I think Colonel Barrow is the one who told me, I asked him a question, when you know when you're ready to retire? And he said, you'll know there's nothing the Army can offer you to keep you in and you will uh, end up leaving. And there was a time but it came for me for that, right? I it, there, you know, refused my the bonuses that they had for PAs. Um, I declined resident CGSE. Um, I knew that I was going to get out, and Claude knew that he was going to retire. Um, you know, I think you know the DMs just wears a lot on you, right? Yeah. And, uh, and so at that point, we were going to get out, and you know, the, the conversations: what are you going to do? What are you going to do? I don't know. And, you know, we kind of came to this conclusion that we didn't want to compete against each other because no matter where we w- would be, like, remember, I've, I've learned everything that I have from Colonel Hines. And so for him, it's like looking in the mirror, right? Sometimes he gets frustrated because today our positions may be different and he doesn't like what I do. And then I have to remind him, I don't understand why you don't like what I'm doing. Look in the mirror. This is exactly what you would do. And this is what you taught me to do. <laughs> Yeah. Why are you mad? <laughs> that's, that's why you got to be very careful how you treat people going up. Because you, you might be working for them later on. Right, 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 right. <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, we decided that what would happen, it would be a personal, you know, sort of competition at what's Claude's next move or what's Frank's next move. And, and would be less about sort of the business uh, of wherever we're working. And that it's be better that we join forces. So we joined forces, started MicroHealth, and it was really to get through, you know, to address some of the, uh, you know, frustrations we had when we were in the program office, right? So, no knock against commodity companies; they do a, a, you know, amazing work for the government. But when you take a commodity company and then you get them into the healthcare space, what happens is you spend a lot of time teaching them healthcare. And all your government resources that are healthcare professionals ends up teaching them how to do healthcare to do that work contextually to the the the, 
the contract they have. And so it would be the akin of this, right? I mean, you could go and see a family practitioner and that family practitioner can do heart surgery, but do you wanna go and see a practitioner, family practitioner for heart surgery just because they can do it? Probably not, you wanna see the surgeon, right? Um, and that surgeon is the expert that you consult because that's all they do. And so that was our sort of mantra, right? This is all we're gonna do. We're gonna be, we're gonna do health IT. And unlike the commodity companies, we're gonna have the doctors, we're gonna have the nurses, we're gonna have the healthcare administrators, we're gonna have the CIO, healthcare CIOs, we're gonna have the lab techs, the rad techs, and all these other things. Um, and, and we do have that today. Like we could run a clinic, a large clinic, you know, sort of all day with our medical staff, which provides the perspective that the customer has without us having to go and say, I need to talk to your doctor. I need to talk to your nurse. I need to talk to this to understand sort of the practice. So we're able to deliver that solution from their point of view versus you trying to educate us on how that we need to do this work for you because we have that expertise for this. We're the surgeons for that. Does that sort of make sense? Yeah, that's fantastic. I mean, it's uh, that's that's a great perspective, and especially as you know, as you've been, and your success shows it. Um, the government appreciates that because um, one of the jokes we won't name any of the companies, but uh, it just seemed like uh, it was there was a period of, of shifting of focus and, and funding in the military, and a lot of government contractors were pivoting from, you know, the day previous they were building aircraft carriers and and fighter jets and then all of a sudden they have a health practice and uh, claude would catch him he's like all right who's your who's your chief medical officer and <laughs> they didn't have the staff to be able to talk about health it so uh, exactly yeah exactly so so that's fantastic you um so what um you, you set up this this venture this uh, company um what are some areas that uh, that you think kind of you're able to give back like in terms of the expertise you learned in the military and the AMEDs and AMED health IT uh, what are some um, what's some work that you're working on now that you feel like you're giving back to that community or supporting them now from from the contract side um, I'll give you a, a, an example I think from my perspective as a provider so one of the biggest annoyances that you know you have inside of an electronic health record is some you know basic feature like search you would imagine in the day in the age of google yahoo and all the other search engines search would be a commodity strangely enough it's not in the medical records so you finding information that's been sort of free texted in is <clears throat> is next to impossible like you just you don't do that you browse records you read them to then find the information you want. And uh, so we were given the opportunity to solve that problem with AI and machine learning. And so now um, they'll be deploying um, the solution that we have uh, for the HR that looks through and indexes all of that free text and allows you to search as if you were to do Google. Wow. Um, and then even allow you to find let me see everybody who has this one medical device that's been prescribed and then find variations of how they would call that term because you know we don't use the same term for the same device and using machine learning we have to learn how providers call this device the same device 10 different ways and then be able to reliably pull that device up so that in a device recall 
um, we can find all the records and all the patients that have this device. And that's pretty exciting for me, right? It seems like it should be a commodity, but you know, in reality, it's just not. And to be part of that and be able to solve that, um, I think it's pretty exciting for me, you know, yeah. as a provider. Yeah. And I think the other thing we do is we try to develop partnerships with our federal uh, government customers, right? We don't go in there with the attitude to try to sell. We go in there with the attitude to really try to provide value, even when that means that maybe we may lose money from the perspective of doing it the right way, right? We will do everything possible for our customers to be successful. And, and we don't really look at, but we in business, so the bottom line does count. However, our main goal is to make that PM, that customer successful. And Frank and I will do whatever it takes for that to happen. Because we remember when we was in the program office, I'm not yeah. going to name yeah. any, any companies, but it was something one time that was broken and the, and the company told us, well, it's a, it's a T&M contract. You just have to pay us to fix it. And that never really set well with me and him, you know? So the bottom line is if something that we don't do right, or if we see a pitfall that a customer be getting ready to walk into, we make sure they know, and we fix our errors or whatever. We want to make sure that we providing value, not just talk, but we walk it. That's I think great. beyond yeah. sort of just the customer, just sort of paying it back to the community mm -hmm. at large, is it's sort of very important to us to sort of create jobs um, and then create opportunities for people who want to get their foot in the door, but you know may not have that fair opportunity because they don't have the, maybe the background, the experience and so forth. Um, so we have a couple of things. I mean, we have the internship program, but we have you know a number of cases where, you know, for example, there's an Uber driver who just happens to tell me that they want to, you know, get into IT, but you just couldn't break in the door. We give them the opportunity here. Next thing you know, five years later, that person's making life-changing money as a AWS certified AWS architect. And, you know, we've paid for all that person's education. We paid for their certifications. Uh, and that person's life has changed. We have a, another example of a- And, and just the, the, the go there is that person end up going to a, one of the larger Fortune 500 companies and do the work, but we're proud of our program as people basically graduate and go somewhere else. That's yeah, great. We have a, somebody who worked in construction, wanted to change their life. We invested it the same way. That person's now making you know, life-changing money moving up in the world. And there's a number of cases of individuals like this, um, receptionists who are now working uh, at, you know, high level in, in sort of contracts or high level in, in HR, a person who's you know, transition maybe from various positions and quality assurance and then ends up on a contract sort of making life-changing money. And there's just sort of this track record of this, of this growth and opportunity. And yeah, you know, we could sit there and say, hey, we need to be more profitable, um, but we would lose focus on sort of our mission, right? You know, it's, it's, it's more than just delivering to the customer, but helping pay back for the many opportunities that the military has given us to other people who may not have that same level of opportunity um, so that they can rise in their community and pay back, you know, tenfold, right? And I think that's sort of our legacy, if anything. That's great. That's fantastic. And we all applaud your efforts there. And it's just amazing to hear these stories. I, um, you talked about transition and um, like you, uh, 
I get now that a lot of the questions from people who are transitioning from active duty and, and looking to uh, like, what do I, what do I do with my life now? I'm transitioning from the AMED medical service Corps. A lot of our, a lot of our community, they, they reach out and I'm sure they reach out to you. Um, looking back now, obviously you've, uh, you've built a successful business and been able to create a, a legacy of passing it on and, and uh, giving back and helping others to, to transition. What advice, like if, if you look back to when you transitioned from active duty and both of you had an advantage because you understood the business side of the military. A lot of us didn't at the time, but what, what, what advice would you give to someone who's transitioning now from, uh, from active duty into, into industry? Uh, what, uh, what are some things that, you know, that lessons learned that you would like to pass on to them? Oh, this is an interesting one, right? I think there's a few things. And I think well, many of us in the military sort of make this mistake when we first transition, we fall back on what we've been trained on for the past, you know, 20, 30 years. And that is, um, you know, that military training. But some of that, you know, will transition very well into the civilian communities. But you know, some of that just won't won't. Um, and I think what we have to fall back on is quickly some of the fundamentals that we have in the military, which is adapt and overcome, right? So the ones that are successful realize quickly what behaviors, what methods, what things that they've done in the military is not successful in the civilian world, and they will adapt and overcome and you know be successful. Uh, and other people, and I would say there is a fair number of them, will fall back on that. And as opposed to adapting and overcome, they want to make it work. And then they find themselves fired from the job. Right. And they'll find themselves fired from the next job. And it takes them several times to realize that the industry isn't going to adapt and overcome to your military habits and your military behavior. You have to adapt and overcome into the industry and the quicker somebody who's transitioning out learns that, the better they will be uh, successful in whatever job that they pick. Yeah, I think the bottom line is that you're no longer in charge. You know, the military, we're trained to always be in charge, right? You always got to move up. And then you get on this side and you got a little small spear that you have to manage. And sometimes you're not even managing. You're just part of the team and you have to learn to to accept it and know when to give advice and when to accept your role. Uh, one of the young ladies that's an army doctor just started working for us. She's on a project and she gave us a, a real good example. She was trying to figure out why this customer is doing it this way. In the army, we didn't do it this way. It, it looks sort of dumb the way they, where they do it, the way they doing it. Right. And one of the young ladies that's, that's a civilian that's been a civilian many years told her, why do you care? It's their product. It's not you that have to manage these patients. It's them. You know, you have to learn your place. Your place is to help them, whether you agree or not. And that's sometimes right. that's the hardest thing because you, you go back to what Frank's saying. This is what you know, and you want to go in there and you want to say, hey, this is wrong. This is, but is it really wrong? Because you're not in that agency. You're not, you're not, you're not in that program office. You're not behind the scenes, right? We're here to assist and help and not be in charge. And sometimes people just can't can't get get over that hurdle. And sometimes they may not be doing something right, but you gotta figure out 
how to deliver that message appropriately so it can be accepted and heard and then maybe you can give them advice and that's a it's sort of art in my opinion because yeah. me and frank always be going like should we tell them how do we gonna tell them because it's, it's a bad line. <laughs> very good line i think the uh the other thing is understanding your skills in the in the military that translate to the civilian skills right so we may have a process that we call it a certain way in the military and what you don't realize is it's still the same thing in the government in, in the civilian world but you haven't made the bridge to understand that your what the military has trained you in a very what seems like a very military uh, military process is indeed a commodity process that's taught in the business world that you can apply and so they undervalue their expertise because they're not able to translate the skills that they acquired in the military to the equivalent skills in the civilian sector. And I think that's very important. One of the advantages that Claude and I have being in the acquisition world and seeing both the military and civilian, we could see quickly where those skills were the same, though the nomenclature would be different. So we would just change our vernacular and soon enough, our conversations in the civilian world was very relevant when we spoke about a process or a tool or what have you, whatnot. Um, but we do see a lot of people, what, when, even when we hire them in the military and we say, you should know how to do this. And they say, well, well, I don't know how to do this. We don't do it this way in the military. I was like, this is what it's called in the military. And this is what it is in the civilian world. It's the same thing. And then the light bulb and the aha moment comes on and then they know how to sort of exploit a process or a tool or an expertise they have, they didn't realize they actually could use in the civilian world. You have anything on that one, Claude? Yeah, I mean, you, you're absolutely right. And, and one of the other things that I would add on is, you know, as Frank talked about, we're using the acquisition world. In the acquisition world, you saw a lot of certification programs. The Army offers a lot of certification programs, but a lot of times we don't take advantage of them while we're in. And then when you get on this side of the fence, it's all about certifications, right? You you know, do you have this cert? Do you have this cert? You might be one of the best at doing it, but on the other side, they only see the cert, right? You can be the best cybersecurity person there is, but if you don't have a CISSP, people are gonna question it because in the army, everybody knows you. When you get on this side, you know, you're trying to build a relationship and build your resume on this side because it seems like when you in the army, everybody knows everybody. Then when you get on this side, you really realize that is what they say about the military. It's really a small population that serve in the military. And so when you get on the other side, you realize that, wow, you know, even with our company, we being an SDVOSB, when we look at the percentages of military, and we always look in the high military, it's not one of those things where you would say, oh, they got 50, 60%, because that's not how it works, because it's not 50 or 60% of the, the population. population. Yeah. That's exactly in. right. That's a good point. Yeah. yeah. So, no, that's great. Yeah. I think the last thing that I would say is depending on your position, you have to realize why companies are hiring you. And if you held a position of significance in the military, know that. That company who's recruiting you is recruiting you for your Rolodex. Yep. And that's not a bad thing, right? I mean And for the younger viewers, Frank, the, the Rolodex is a contact list in your outlook. Yeah. 
you'll come in there and you'll have this inflated ego as if you're going to be able to, you know, sort of move mountains. And what they really care about is your Rolodex and then they'll spit you out. Yeah, it's true. So you, you have to sort of look at it in a couple of ways, right? I'm going to realize I'm going to be exploited for my Rolodex. I'm going to make sure that I comply with my Section 847, my, you know, OCI. And I'm going to then get paid a lot for that in first year, knowing I'm probably not going to make that much money in the second year unless I redefine my value above and beyond the Rolodex, right? And exactly. that is the trick. Exactly. Because once people see that they can't exploit you for your Rolodex, you're no longer marketable unless you've marketed yourself in a different light. And so that's my last piece of advice for people, you know, transitioning out. Yeah, when you're in the company, remain relevant. Don't rest on what you did in the past. Be looking at what you need to do in the future because businesses is all about the future. And it growing. is. It is. Wow, that's that's a powerful statement there, right? And, and Claude, you kind of stole my last question here. Kind of what um, I was thinking, what's next for, for you all, MicroHealth? Uh, anything that you'd uh, like to share? Like what it's at some point, you know, we, we have this great career in the military, if, you know, meet everyone and, and be able to serve the nation. And and then uh, we, we have the opportunity to, to run a business um, uh, just at a high level. What's what's next for a company or how does that just for our, for our listeners who, who may not know what what does that look like? Um, you know, what's the future hold for uh, business owners or you guys in particular? So for MicroHealth, um, you know, anybody who starts off at a small business, you're going to come to a point where you won't be a small business anymore. And that will, for us, will come in 2023, where despite our best efforts, we won't be able to, to stay small. And that's significant is because the government provides a lot of advantages to small businesses that um, allow you to get a much more fair opportunity. So the problem is when you go from small to large, um, you know, everything is relative, right? So you may be absolutely large compared to a small business, but you're very tiny compared to an Accenture, a Deloitte, or Northrop Grumman, a GDIT. So you just can't compete. And this is where I'm going to say you need to go back to sort of the military fundamentals. You need to adapt and overcome. And that means you need to change your strategy long before you become that large business to be relevant as a large business and to succeed. And those are things like being able to be grandfathered on, on a number of contract vehicles so that you can still compete as a small. It may be, you know, forming joint ventures so that you can continue to get the revenue and the resources to be able to compete as a large. But ultimately, you have to start competing as a large as a small business so that you can, you know, as we say in the military, zero your weapon, right? You're going to miss a lot of times until you figure out how to hit that target. But once you figure out how to hit that target, you'll be able to win more work to be successful as a large business. So for us, it's that transition in the large business in 2023, zeroing our weapon and making sure that we learn how to fire that target true and, and hit it um, so that we can win the work and be relevant as a large business. That's great. That's great. Wow. Um, we'll market. Well, speaking of marketing, we'll market this episode because there's a wealth of information you all shared uh, to our listeners. And we thank you both for your time. It's been just an amazing time. Always catch up. Uh, the pandemic has is, is kept us at bay. Um, looking forward. Are you guys going to be at HIMSS this year? Uh, Absolutely. Yeah, we'll be there. Um, Good. And if we're 
for your listeners, I would say, you know, we, we do help a number of um, uh, people who are getting out of the military who wants to start their own business. Um, and I just, because I, you know, I get so many questions about that. I literally just created a cookbook that says, just do these things in sequence, make sure you avoid these things because people will exploit you for this. Then if you do these things, you'll be pretty successful. You at least avoid a lot of the mistakes that we made. And then you can see some of those companies that have followed that cookbook like BDR, you know, in a few years, I wouldn't doubt they'll be bigger than MicroHelp, right? right. <laughs> and they started much later than MicroHelp, but they've avoided a lot of the, you know, dumb things that Claude and I had to learn the hard way. Yeah, very hard. <laughs> and so I'm, I'm happy to share that with them. And, you know, in some way they can get my email and I'm, I'll send my cookbook. That'll be great. Uh, we'll, 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 uh, we'll make sure that, um, that that gets marketed for the, we'll post this episode before him. So uh, how can he reach out to you at HIMSS? Will you, will you be there or, um, in terms of a, a booth or just how, what's the best way for them to reach you if they're transitioning? Uh, no, no, um, I won't. So I don't, we won't have a booth at HIMSS. We will have a booth at the MHS. Um, oh, okay. Yep. Um, but I would say LinkedIn, right? So if you looked at Frank Tucker on LinkedIn, I'll I'll show up. You know, That's fantastic. All right, it'll show up at the top of the list. Reach out to me and I'll send you the list. I'll send you the cookbook. Good, good to go. Well, gentlemen, thanks both to you. It's great catching up. Thanks for your time today. It's uh, always, always fun and bring us down memory lane. And uh, best to both of you as you uh, continue in your next steps. All right. Thank you. Hey, thank, thank you. Appreciate you. it. Much appreciated. Well, everyone, this wraps up another episode of, of our podcast for the Silver Caduceus Association. You can always find us at silvercaducesassociation.org. And uh, hope you enjoyed this one and uh, looking forward to the next conversation. For more information or to listen to other episodes, please visit silvercaducesassociation.org.